0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today.
1: Just nine bowl games left before we know who's playing for the 2017 National Championship. Great games so far to this point, culminated with Ohio State's domination of USC, sacking Sam Darnold eight times last night, Rich. Sun bowl was very high scoring, and I love that matchup between Wake Forest
2: and Texas A&M. I mean, best bowl game for you up until this point. I think it was that one. I, that Belk Bowl really came at a perfect time. We've had a lot of snoozers, a lot of blowouts, a lot of sloppy football in the postseason. I needed to see a motivated Wake Forest team against Texas A&M. Love what Dave Clawson has done. And I think John Wolford, the quarterback for the Demon Deacons, uh, a surprise for me. I mean, I, I, he, was a, he was a plugger. He was a compiler, right. a veteran, but really took off in that offense. And remember, you know, Greg Dortch, who played so well midway through the yeah. season, gone for the year, right? And and so he didn't have his best wide receiver. And Wolford keeps getting better. I think he's going to have a shot to possibly latch onto someone's NFL roster next year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, he made solid reads and progressions. A lot of good running backs in that ball game as well. Travion Williams, Keith Ford for uh, Texas A&M and Colburn for Wake Forest proved to be a really shifty runner. I mean, uh, dynamic performances all around.
2: Yeah, we were talking about it in the in the car ride right. over. Colburn really impressed me with the jump cuts he was using against the Texas A yes. and M defense. Jimbo Fisher, you know, inherits a team that has talent, but as holes, needs some work at the at the quarterback position. We talked about running backs. How about Christian Kirk, the wide yeah. receiver? I mean, such a talented all around player from the state of Arizona. He was someone that Kevin Sumlin picked up three years ago. We knew that he was a blue chipper, and he has delivered on offense and special teams. I think he's going to be a truly special playmaker. And we talk a lot on this network about fantasy. He's the kind of player that's going to be on a lot of fantasy rosters in the near future.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, I have him and James Washington up there as top 10 wide receivers in Calvin Ridley. He is a smooth route runner. I mean, can catch the football over the middle, dig routes, also post patterns, never break stride, and, and is utilized on fly sweeps, the return game, a dangerous kickoff and punt returner. So He's really a 5-2 player from. From an offensive perspective. Keep your eye out for him. Uh, we saw last Saturday as well, I mean, bowl games really stepped up. We saw a great matchup between Texas Tech and USF. Quinton Flowers really improving his draft status, in my opinion, played very well in that ball game. How about Army over
2: San Diego State in that bowl Unbelievable. game? Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, Ahmad Bradshaw in that game, what, what Jeff Monken has done, and I watched that game against San Diego State. We talked about this off the air yesterday. San Diego State had one of the top run defenses in the country they could not stop Army. It almost makes me wonder sometimes. If if you're a team that's not getting blue-chip talent, I almost wonder if you employ some version of the triple option because that unit was unstoppable by the Aztecs in that game.
1: That's a great point. Bob Davy does it with New Mexico. Exactly. I don't understand exactly. why more teams don't utilize it as well. If you can get a defense to run sideline to sideline and control the line of scrimmage, you'll be in each and every ball game. Okay. So when we come back, we'll be talking about that Orange Bowl, Wisconsin. Wisconsin and Miami, the you. Joe Lisi and Ruth Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. matchup taking place 8 p.m. tonight Miami the U the turnover chain Rich plus 15 in turnover margin in 2017 taking on Big Ten opponent Wisconsin both teams will travel very well but I think Mark Richt and the crew are ready for this matchup. The speed of the defense of Miami is the difference. They're able to run sideline to sideline. I break this game down much like that matchup against Notre Dame. Big physical offensive line. The U dominated that ball game, forced turnovers. I think it's the same outcome later tonight. I'm surprised.
2: I, I thought we were gonna <laughs> differ on this one. I, 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 I like yeah, I like Miami as well. I, I, I listen, you take the turnover chain. And you hang it on Alex Hornibrook what do you get a turnover. You, you got a lot of turnovers. he <laughs> got a lot of interceptions. I, I, I have this love hate relationship with Hornibrook. When he's good, he's fantastic. You know, he'll work the intermediate routes. He'll get the ball to Troy Fumagalli. But Wisconsin has every week. It seems like they're losing a new receiver. That was the case during the regular season. They have Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield. Phenomenal rookie season. Looks like the next great thing at Wisconsin uh, in the running game. But Hornibrook's penchant for making bad reads and bad throws is a bad mix for this Miami defense. I, I think Miami comes out hot. I think they're motivated based on how they finish the season. Back-to-back losses to Pittsburgh, to Clemson in the ACC title game. And you mentioned it, Joe, the speed of that defense. The motivation. Mark Rick, 10-5 and all-time in bowl games, so he has a good track record in the postseason. I like Miami as well. I, I You know, when these matchups first came out, I'm a big fan of wisconsin you know i like the way they they prepare their kids the way they coach the way they coach them up the way they play defense but that methodical wisconsin team against the speed particularly the defensive speed if malik rosier can play a decent game against Wisconsin. I think Miami wins the game outright.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the matchup as well. The speed of Miami, not just on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball as well. Look for Homer to break out as well. This is a Miami offense that is averaging right around 146 rushing yards per game. They're also passing for over 200 with Malik Rozier that has completed 54% 54% of his passes, over 2,500 passing yards, 25 total touchdowns in 2017 through the air. Again, he did not play well down the stretch. Now, you brought up Mark Richt in both scenarios, 10-5 overall. He had his team prepared last year against West Virginia, and this is a team that has their sights set on 2018. I mean, they started very fast. They were, had an opportunity possibly to make the college football playoff. It didn't work out that way. They lost back-to-back games to Pittsburgh and Clemson, like you mentioned. But all optimism and all eyes are on spring practice, and that's where I think you look for Miami to really dominate this ball game. I think Homer has a big day. I'm not sold on Wisconsin's offensive balance either. I know Hornibrook started fast this year, but again, I think if they force them into long third-down situations over the last five games, Hornibrook only averaged 149 passing on per game,
2: five touchdowns five interceptions, I think that's the difference. And and once or twice, it seems, in every Wisconsin game, Alex makes a pass that you just scratch your head. (laughs) And you say, where was he looking? How is he missing that read? He's still a young quarterback, still just a sophomore. But I'm going to go back to the Miami defense. I'll, I'll actually take a step further back. You know, Miami has overall momentum, not just the 10-0 start, not just the flirtation with an ACC title, but also recruiting. During that early recruiting uh, signing period in December, a little over a week ago, they cleaned up again. So Mark Richt has tremendous momentum taking place with the Hurricanes. I think it continues in this bowl game, and I think they need it in this bowling game. Because if they want to get a fast start on 2018, you do not want to go into the off season on a three-game losing streak that is a possibility for Miami that defensive speed particularly in the front seven I think presents all kinds of problems for Wisconsin and if Alex Hornibrook comes up with those one or two passes that I mentioned that that pass that You know, he never should have made. He throws into traffic. I think Miami could take it back the other way. I don't like the Miami offense, by the way. I don't like them against this Wisconsin defense. It could be defense and special team scores, but I think Miami is going to hold serve In Miami, I think they're going to win this game outright. Well, if they're forced into
1: long third-down situations, it could be a long day for Miami. That's been the Achilles heel for this offense, only converting 29% of their third-down conversions. If Hornibrook does get a methodical drive to start the game, and that defense pins back its ears, I mean, they've done a fantastic job this year, right around 35 total sacks as a defensive unit. Very solid in third down defense as well, holding opposing offenses right in the area of about 35% of their third down opportunities. That could be the recipe to beat Miami in this ball game. They have a young running back in, Jonathan Taylor, in that big, heavy offensive line. So if they start to run downhill early and work off a sure. of play action and score first, That could be the recipe for Wisconsin to win this ballgame.
2: Yeah, Miami does not have an offense that's designed for catch-up mode, particularly since two of their better weapons in the passing game, wide receiver Amon Richards, Christopher Herndon, the tight end, are not going to be available. Both are injured. So starts will be important. But Miami, particularly getting a touchdown, I, I like the Canes. Yeah, I game. do,
1: too. I think it could be high scoring by Miami standards in terms of I think they win this ballgame, maybe 35-17 over Wisconsin, especially
2: if they jump up early. Only four- if there are non-offensive touchdowns, Joe. I don't think they have five offensive touchdowns against that Wisconsin defense. It's going to take defensive or special teams touchdowns. could be a short
1: field. A a short field. Yeah, mean,
2: you think low scoring then? 17-10? Uh, uh, in the 20s, I would say. I, I say Miami winning this game 24-21. Uh, uh, Wow. Uh, I mean, if we get a game like that
1: in the Orange Bowl, it would be great. I mean, Absolutely. That, I mean, let's hope that these games are as close as we think. I mean, for the most part, I think it'll be a blowout yeah. for Miami in that ballgame. 8 p.m. kick. Let's turn our attention to a rematch of last, uh, two years ago. It was the Music City Bowl. Notre Dame did get the victory 31-24 to over LSU and Ed Ogeron. I mean, a lot of intriguing developments in Baton Rouge. This will be offensive coordinator Matt Canada's last game. He's looking to cut ties with Ed Ogeron, but to me, this is a team in LSU that has the speed defensively to really contain Brandon Winbush. Defensively, at LSU giving up around 120 rushing yards to opposing offenses, only giving up around 183 passing yards per game. I like that defense that does have 35 total sacks there, plus 8 in turnover margin. I think they get it done in a big way in this ballgame. Do
2: you like them or love them? I love them. Do you really? I do. Yeah, I, I I could not figure this game out. I mean, this was of, of the nine remaining games that we evaluated this week. This was the one that really vexed me the most. Really? I, I couldn't figure out who was going to have more motivation, Notre Dame or LSU. I think they're two similar teams in terms of talent. And Brian Kelly has not been a great postseason coach. LSU missing arguably their best defensive player Arden Key won't be available Notre Dame has suspensions particularly in the passing game their tight end Alizé Mack wide receivers Chase Claypool and Kevin Steverson not available so it was a curious game to me I'm gonna go with what I think is the best unit which is the Notre Dame offensive line led by Mike McGlinchey Quentin Nelson blocking for Brandon Wombush and Joshua Adams LSU has a good defense But better on the back seven than on the front four. I like Devin White at linebacker. Greedy Williams uh, on the back end. uh, Kevin Tollifer in the secondary. But the defensive line for LSU by the usual standard is not elite. So I think they bow... the Notre Dame offensive line. I'm going to take the ground game of ND. I think it's close. I don't love this game, but I'll take the Irish to beat LSU.
1: Yeah, here's what I look at when I look at the offense for LSU as well. A balanced offense led by their senior quarterback, Danny Etling, completing 60% of his passes. They're rushing for right around 210 yards per game, passing for 201 yards through the air. I think Darius Geis gets going. Daryl Williams, that offensive line of LSU is still SEC West caliber material, and I look at the defense as well. To me, it is the secondary play going up against Brandon Wimbush. He's only completed 49% of his passes. You look at LSU, even though Arden Key will not play in this ballgame, this is a defensive front that did sack Jalen Hurts six times in Tuscaloosa. They dominated Lamar Jackson last year in the Citrus Bowl. Ed Ogeron, Dave Aranda on the defensive side really game plan well against Louisville in that bowl game. I think they'll be into this matchup. LSU could play Man-to-man coverage on the outside. I think they match up at the linebackers as well. I mean, forcing those running lanes against Brandon Wimbush. I mean, when you look at Notre Dame overall on the road or on the neutral field site there, three and two this year, Rich. Lost to Stanford, lost to Miami. They got blown out in both of those games, lost those games by 23 and a half points per game. I still go with the SEC team here in LSU, and I'm
2: not sold on Brian Kelly as a head coach in this big ball game. The one wild card for me, Joe, is you mentioned Darius Geis, uh, one of the two or three best backs in the country, wasn't healthy this year. I, I'm not convinced we're going to see him for all four quarters, and I'm not sure if you're going to get the best of Darius Geis on offense for LSU, and if he is not 100% or not giving 100%, I just don't have faith in Danny Etling as a quarterback. love DJ Chark on the right. outside the wide receiver but Danny Etling an average quarterback I'm not sure if he can get it done without more help from Darius Geiser. you're picking Notre Dame? I'm going to take Notre Dame but I, again it's not a game I'm in love with
1: I like LSU by double digits but keep an eye on the Mac Canada situation as well when we come back we'll be talking a former Marshall running back Doug Chapman talking about the college football playoff Joe Lisi and Rich Cermonello live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34
0: 844- 84FNTSY. That's 844 843 6879 The Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Your free fantasy source 24 hours a day.
1: Roaring into the college football playoff Monday night. Two great games, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson. If you want to get the skinny on the college football playoff, you reach out to a big-time player. He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line, former Marshall and NFL Minnesota Vikings running back Doug Chapman joins us. Doug, how are you today?
0: I'm doing great, man. Thanks
1: for having me on, guys. Uh, Always a pleasure. Rich and I have been breaking down both college football playoff games. Doug, we'll turn our attention to Alabama and Clemson. I want to get your thoughts. More pressure on Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide or Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers being the defending national champions in this ballgame?
0: I honestly want to go with uh, Dabo and, and the Tigers on this one. I think that everybody under the sun thinks that Alabama's going to get this one. We've seen what Alabama can do year in, year out. Even when they don't win the national championship, they're a dynasty, they're a powerhouse. Clemson is on the precipice of being one of those type of teams. A big win again against Alabama could really solidify them as being uh, – not just one of the, but maybe the elite program in college football. But I think the pressure is on Dabo because if they get it done this year, everything they've been talking about of what they want to be looked at as an SEC type team playing in the ACC. All of that can, can become a reality with the women of Alabama. So I think the pressure is on Dabo with the Clemson Tigers.
2: Hey, Doug, uh, it's Rich Sermonello. Uh, Break down the quarterbacks for me. I think it's a fascinating matchup. Jalen Hurts uh, has more experience from Alabama, has played in this game before, but has struggled in his development and his progressions as a passer. And then there's Kelly Bryant, not on this stage before, but shows a high ceiling. What are your expectations for these two passers?
0: You know, honestly, from I, 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 watching... Both of these guys, you know, Hertz is still young. He's a sophomore, and you know, he's played a, played a lot of game, won a lot of games there. I really like what he can do, and I want to see if if this month off. They haven't played a game since November the twenty fifth, I believe. I want to see if this month off, you know, not only how healthy he is, but if he's watched a lot of film, I've tried to work on some of the things he had issues with getting the ball down the field, the vertical passing attack, um, accuracy in his throws. I think uh, them losing Kiffin on that side, it took some some time to get adjusted to. But Hurts can hurt you with his legs. But I don't want to see him, uh, the the little uh, around the edge uh, quarterback run they design, run they do. I don't want to see him pulling it down if he goes to a second read. I want to see him sit back in the pocket and dictate and move defensive backs with his head and with his shoulders and make accurate throws. I want to see if that time off has, has helped him really develop more and, and the passing attack. We know Alabama's going to lean on you and run the ball, give them third, manageable situations. But I want to see Jalen Hurts really come out and dominate a game with his arms.
1: Piggybacking off of that, uh, Doug, when you look at the Alabama offense overall, I mean, outside of Calvin Ridley, there's really not a go-to wide receiver. Jerry Judy, I mean, has progressed this year. What can Brian Dable do outside running the football in terms of can he utilize the short intermediate passing game on screens to neutralize that Clemson Tiger defensive rush?
0: So They're going to have to because Clemson has the best defensive front in college football. They're going to get after the pass. They're going to be disruptive. Uh, They're going to get after. They're going to to move Hurts around the pocket. So the screen game is going to have to be used to control that defensive front. Uh, You talked about the the pass that Calvin Ridley leads the team. He's got about 55 receptions. We know what he can do with both. Scarborough is the second leading receiver on the team, which makes no sense to me. Irv Smith, tight end. I want to see him get involved. He only has 13 catches. On the year, but they're going to have to utilize not just a short pass attack, but the screen game to not just neutralize uh, that upfield rush that Clemson has, but to really slow those guys down. Farrell, uh, Wilkins, Lawrence, you know, those guys can get after them. They're, they're the best in the nation, and they're going to get upfield. They're going to get pressure. They're going to condense the pocket. They're going to make Hertz uncomfortable. And you don't want Hertz taking a lot of shots. You've got to get the ball out of his hands quick we know it really can bring you but i want to see if irv smith and some of the other receivers can really step up along with the running backs in the screen game
2: doug how much do you think this time off is going to benefit the alabama defense we heard about it certainly in november minka was banged up the linebackers suffered through some attrition do you think this looks like a vintage crimson tide defense uh, once they lace it up monday night
0: you know they get some 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 players back in the linebacking core. Uh, Miller and Lewis come back. Uh, you know Dylan Moses. I know he's out, but the layoff. You know for a defense, it's really hard to simulate how physical. You know a game of this caliber can be in practice. You don't want to beat on your guys. I'm sure they've had some uh, practices where they've gone full pads, but they're not going to be able to simulate what they're going to see uh, from Clemson's football team. So the layoff for on the defensive side of the ball can be a problem sometimes because you have to be physical on that side and you can't hit every day like I said they've been off for a month I think offensively it won't hurt them that bad to get some guys that that, that don't really want to get contact most offensive players don't get a lot of contact in practice but defensively it'll be interesting to see that linebacking core from Alabama gel get some healthy guys back in I think they're very anxious on that side of the ball to get back out there but Uh, to see how the speed of the game, when they can catch up, because Clemson's going to tempo them. They're going to come out, no huddle. They're going to get a a ton of plays off in a short amount of time. I want to see if on defense, if Alabama, with the layoff, uh, not being able to hit as much, if they're able in the first two or three series to really keep up with Clemson Tigers.
1: Doug, when you look at both defenses overall, we know the kryptonite per se for Alabama has been a mobile quarterback over recent years. Uh, Why do you think that is? Because you look at Clemson Tigers defensive front, I mean, they face mobile quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Josh Jackson, and have performed very well. So why does Alabama struggle with mobile quarterbacks in recent years?
0: I think it's 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 gotten better over the past couple of years. Alabama's always been big on the perimeter. They they run they they they're big on the outside. They've got big linebackers. And the thing about three or four years ago is they their linebackers didn't run very well in space and drop very well in space and get out to the flats and get out to the perimeter to cover these teams that run these up tempo uh, spread style of of offenses. But I think they've gotten better. They've recruited a little different. If you look, they've gotten smaller on the edges, but it's still bigger than most college teams have. I think they've gotten better doing that. And a mobile quarterback, when you spread the field out and you've got guys with their backs turned either in man coverage, you've got bigger bodies dropping, you have a mobile quarterback that can pull the ball down and pick up uh, uh, yards running. And then if he's a special player, make a guy miss and take it to the house. Bryant's that type of player. Uh, we've seen what he can do with his leg. We've also, also seen him take some shots, get knocked out of games. against uh, Syracuse Get hit Etienne Feaster, uh, Choice, the other kid, Fuller. Those are the guys I think that should be doing the bulk of the carries against a physical Alabama uh, front. You don't want to see Bryant taking a lot of shots. And also, we talked about the passing of Hurts. I want to see if Bryant comes out sharp. He was sharp versus Miami in the ACC championship game. But if you watch him over the course of the year, a lot of his downfield throws when he's had receivers open, he's over or under thrown them. Um, A lot of his passes are short, intermediate uh, plays and receivers are run after it. So I want to see if Bryant can sit in the pocket as well and actually, be a quarterback and find hold in this Alabama defense.
2: Doug, I'm going to shift gears out to uh, Pasadena. Just a fascinating matchup between Georgia and Oklahoma. Obviously, contrasting styles. Baker Mayfield, uh, lightning rod for everything from criticism to adjuration. Uh, Is he the kind of figure that can elevate an Oklahoma team that I don't think has as much talent, certainly not as much physicality as uh, as Georgia? Can he elevate this Oklahoma team uh, and pull a mild upset over the Bulldogs?
0: You know, if you ever watch the way that his teammates interact with him, I mean, they, they love him. You know, whether opponents love him or hate him, whether the media loves him or hates him, whatever we think of him, the guys in his locker room, they love Baker Mayfield. They feed off of him. You can tell he's a type of player that hangs out with every position. Well, he's not just an offensive guy. He hangs out with the defensive guys, the black guys, the white guys. Everybody on the team likes Baker Mayfield. And so when you have a player – But if that type of player at your quarterback position, everybody's going to play a little bit harder. So he definitely is the lightning rod uh, for Oklahoma. He gets guys going. The entire team feeds off of him, not just the offensive side of the ball. And I really like to watch him. Like I said, I'm not here to to say what kind of player he's going to be at the next level or talk about his off-the-field antics or things like that. But when he's between those white lines with the helmet on and he's making plays – you can really see that entire team feeds off of Baker Mayfield. So however he goes offensively is how this entire team, uh, this Oklahoma football team is going to go.
1: Doug, great insight and information. Number 22, I remember you from the Motor City Bowl playing against BYU. We hope you enjoyed it today.
0: Thanks a lot, man. That old black and white uh, film. I'm surprised you guys had to break (laughs) the reels out to
1: watch that. great insight from Doug. I'll tell yeah. you the one thing that he brought up that is pretty interesting and, and why you really have to credit Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables. He mentioned the recruiting about Alabama mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. The one thing that Dabo Sweeney and Brett Venables have, has done in Death Valley is recruit on the defensive side of the ball and coach that talent up. Not just on the defensive line, but Ben Boulware was gone last uh, this year. They stepped up. They have other playmakers that can run sideline to sideline and that's why I think their defense is more suited against a mobile quarterback.
2: Yeah. And and as offenses shift and offensive personnel shifts to become more versatile, more athletic, even smaller in some cases, look at the quarterbacks. Look at a Khalil Tate at Arizona. We talked even about an Ahmad Bradshaw, a Malcolm Perry at Navy. Those are smaller, faster, athletic. Lamar Jackson a year ago, you have to have those offenders who can stop and neutralize those types of playmakers. And that's exactly what a Nick Saban and a Dabo Sweeney have done. You know what? Uh, Doug brought up a great point. They were bigger, the Ruben Fosters. They were bigger, physical CJ Mosley type linebackers. That has shifted over time, and I think that trend will continue in the coming years. It started when Oklahoma and Trevor Knight
1: exploited that defense and they won that ball game. And then that's when Nick Saban was complaining about the up tempo attacks and really shifted his recruiting to get more athletic linebackers that can run in space. Because if you can't tackle in space, not just at the linebacker position, That's why Minka Fitzpatrick really excels as a defensive back because he can tackle in space just the way Jabril Peppers did last year. So, I mean, when we come back, we'll be talking to Game Time Decisions host Gay Marenzi. Get the locks for the day. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. to the best pick time. If you want to get the locks of the day, you bring on Game Time Decisions host, Gabe Marenzi. Gabe, my picks have been as cold as ice. Give me your thoughts about the bowl season up until this point. Gabe is going to be joining us uh, via satellite in a little bit.
2: <laughs> he is a, uh, he's he, taking his picks out of the uh, the cryogenically frozen freezer. Well, I has. can't
1: complain. I've been as cold as ice as well. I, but, I
2: was horrible at the but, end of uh, the regular season. But, I, but.
1: Feel, I feel very confident about the selections today. Let's touch on a couple games that we already spoke about. I mean... And we'll piggyback off of what Doug said as well about Oklahoma. In terms of Baker Mayfield, yes, the the teammates love him. His you know everyone around him loves him. I worry though about Lincoln Riley in the spot because now the head coach, the game preparation last year against Auburn, it's different from an offensive coordinator's perspective. There's a lot of you know things that you have to do from a media perspective as the head coach, first time, first go around. Baker Mayfield now has been non-existent in the last three media days. Right, I he's don't know is under he the bat- weather, yeah. right? Is he battling a flu? We don't know what the real story is up until this point, and that could be a factor for both, not just uh, the offense, but more importantly, Lincoln Riley in dealing with all these questions.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, Kirby's uh, smart. It's not as if he's coaching against Mark Richt, somebody who's been down this road a number of times. Kirby Smart has coached as a coordinator in huge games, but Lincoln Riley has as well. And I think he's done a really nice job. I think that's why he's a coach of the year candidate. In navigating the difficult road of repl- replacing what is a legendary coach in Norman and right. Bob Stoops. And Riley's done a great job, not just in terms of uh, the victories, but he also, I think he managed Baker Mayfield fairly well. been sure. sitting him for the beginning of the Kansas game when, when Baker stepped out of line. Uh, I, I, I think he's done a good job. It's a tough setting. I, I, I watch Baker Mayfield. Doug Chapman brought it up in terms of how he correlates with his with his teammates. It sort of reminds me of Jim McMahon. If you go back to the old yeah. Chicago Bears days, you know, McMahon conducted himself almost like he was a linebacker, despite playing right. quarterback. That was both between the lines and then on the sidelines as well. And, and and that's what makes Baker so unique. And that's what makes this game so fascinating. You know, I, I, I don't have a rooting interest But the more that I see Baker Mayfield as an amateur, I think the better it is for college fans. Well,
1: you said McMahon, I'll go to College Station. How about the old days of the wrecking crew, Bucky Richardson? Yeah, I mean, you know, different type of offense, obviously, but Bucky Richardson was a guy that really uh, came off the bench and and really led his team, and the the players loved him. He was a player's guy, and and that's what elevated that offense under R.C. Slocum back in the day. So when you have a spark plug that can really ignite not just the offense, but the defense. We saw it a couple of years ago. Todd Gurley was the same type of player in Georgia because when he scored on touchdown runs, that defense got amped up. They yeah. were into it emotionally and that's what an offensive player can do, especially when you're a team leader. Gurley was that in Athens a, a few years ago for Georgia. Baker Mayfield is clearly the leader of this team, so we'll need. he'll need his A game against this Georgia defense, but we'll see how it out on Monday no night, Gabe joins us. Gabe, how are you today?
4: I mean, always a pleasure, guys. I'm fired up for some football. Let's do this thing.
1: Give me your thoughts quickly. I mean, I've been as cold as ice, Gabe. It's cold outside. It's snowing. I mean, give me your thoughts about the bowl uh, games that we've seen up until this point.
4: You know what? I've been. Uh, I warn people every year, guys. Don't bet big on the early, small tier, lower tier bowl games. You know the the six and six teams of the world because you're going to put yourself in a hole if you're putting real money on all this stuff, and you know that's exactly what I did. I didn't practice what I preach uh, again, and I burnt myself early. I was terrible out of the gate. I'm starting to heat up uh, right now. Over the last couple of days, uh, we're starting to get in a little bit of a groove. Quite simply because we've been betting against uh, the Pac-12, and what are they? You know what an abomination for the Pac-12 uh, so far in the Bulls. Unfortunately, we only have one. 12 team left on the docket. And, of course, that's the Washington Huskies later today. But one in seven straight up, guys. One in seven straight up. The Utah Utes were the only team to get it done. And they beat a West Virginia team with a backup uh, quarterback. You know the Pac-12 has been exposed, and you know this is why they, they get upset when they're not in the conversation all the time for for the playoffs. And you know we, we see why. And I expect this trend to continue. Uh, another thing I noticed, uh, guys, you know Big Ten, uh, Big Ten now four and zero, only two and two against the spread. And we should mention too with uh, with the Pac-12 as well. They haven't covered any any point spreads either. They essentially covered like one number. Um, you know the big the the Big Ten's been been great uh, so far four zero but so far really to me the theme of the bowls really has been the, the Pac twelve and uh, not just them losing but them getting absolutely pasted another trend that we always know about coming into these bowl games that's once again lived up uh, to, to its history is interim coaches guys uh, teams that have lost their coach or their offensive coordinator have all lost. Uh, you know, you go down the list. You know, Willie Taggart in Oregon. Uh, you know, Josh Heupel in Missouri the other night. Uh, God, Chad Morris and SMU. MU You know, the theme continues, which leads us into. You know, you look at Mississippi State today. They lose. They lose their quarterback and their coach and their play caller and their offensive coordinator and their quarterback coach. You know, Mississippi State could be in tough today, but no one's getting rich uh, laying seven points against SEC teams, are they?
2: Well, uh, Joe and I uh both like Louisville. We both like Iowa state over Memphis as well, but you touched on the Pac-12. That was a theme of our show Gabe in the early going, Pac-12 being 1 and 7, Big 10 being 4. And oh. Does that trend continue with Washington facing Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl?
4: Yeah, I don't see how it uh I don't see how it doesn't. Uh, you know, you look at Penn State in this explosive offense. Uh, you know, it's amazing because you remember when Browning was a freshman. You know, we thought, wow, this is, there was talk of him about being a Heisman Trophy winner, if you remember. And you know, to me, he just struggles in big games. Washington struggle in big games. You know, look, Washington couldn't win a, a conference. That you know, quite frankly, doesn't match up against the physicality uh, of the Big Ten. And you know, this isn't this isn't um, our granddad's Big Ten, or even even you know you and my Big Ten, Rich. You know, this isn't Woody Hayes or Bo and That's why I started getting into college football in the late seventies. You know, with with the Big Ten style of football and Bo Shambacker, and we don't throw the ball. If you throw the ball, you know, three things can happen, and two of them are bad. So you know, I was brought up on college football like that, but. Yeah, Penn State's an explosive offense. Yeah, they're scoring forty-one plus points a football game, uh, and you know you look at Ohio State last night. You know, uh, USC looks slow against Ohio State. And we're talking about five kids from California and USC, you know, always blazing fast, et cetera. They look slow, you know. So now the Big Ten is actually a combination of speed and power. I just think it's going to be too much for the Washington Huskies. I respect Chris Peterson a lot, uh, but Chris Peterson's not going to be out there trying to tackle Saquon Barkley and trying to stop Nick Sorley. I just trust. I think the, the Penn State Nittany Lions are more consistent. Listen, Franklin's a great coach as well. And I know that Penn State will show up. I'm not so sure what I'm going to get from the Washington Husky offense. I've already loaded up on this. Uh, it's going to be my biggest bet of the day. I love the Penn State Midney Lions in this football game.
1: Oh, we're bucking heads, Gabe, because this is my best bet of the day. I love Washington here. I feel very good about it. But... You nearly
4: convinced me the other night, Joe. I know. Uh, when we spoke. <laughs> I tell you, Red. Joe should be a lawyer. He was very convincing. If I was on the jury, I was ready to, I was ready to execute and send the guy to jail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after Joe's defense, I'm like, I don't know, man. Maybe the guy's innocent. But about an hour later, Joe, I was like, I can't listen to Joe. With all due respect, I got to stick to my guns on this one. As I stated, I don't know what well, Washington are just too inconsistent uh, for me. I'm not impressed uh, by them. You know, beating up teams uh, in the Pac-12. I'm, you know, I'm not going to put this trend, guys. We have a, a conference that's four and all looking really good, uh, laying two and a half points against a conference that is one in seven, not looking really good. We with a damn
1: good football team with Penn State. Give right. me the Lions. Right, and That's a great point, Gabe. We'll see which trend continues or if the trend ends in the Fiesta Bowl at 4 p.m. later today. But I did want to ask you about home field advantage. We saw FAU dominate Akron. We saw Navy dominate Virginia. We have the same type of scenario with Memphis and Riley Ferguson at home against Iowa State. But Rich and I both like the blue-collar Cyclones here. I think they match up very well offensively and defensively against Memphis in this ballgame?
4: You know what? I'll be the lone wolf uh, on this one. And th- this one, I really haven't dug in deep until until the last couple of days. And my initial gut instinct when I first saw the matchup was, you know, I think Iowa State plus the points. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Iowa State plus the points. But... Um, that's on a neutral field. As you mentioned, this is a hold game uh, for a Memphis Tiger football team that basically, you know, sneezes forty one points uh, you know, on a weekly basis. You know, they haven't scored less than forty one points that uh, going all the way back uh, to the Navy game. All right. Um, and that was um, you know, that was uh, when that was in October. October the fourteenth was the last time they scored thirty points and they won that football game incidentally. They scored, close so they've only lost two games. And those two games were the Central Florida. Central Florida was like the, you know, one of the only teams that would be able to trade points uh, with Memphis. Because you want to talk about consistent. I'm a big, big Riley Ferguson fan. Um, I don't I don't know how we translate into the NFL let's see if the NFL is getting away from sort of the big canon type of quarterbacks. But he's better than Paxton Lynch. If Paxton Lynch is the first-round draft pick, I can't go against Memphis. I think Iowa State could struggle to put some points up on the board here. You know, they've lost three of the last four football games. They kind of hit a little bit of a wall. I love Matt Campbell, especially getting points. But I got to take the home team here, guys.
1: Great, great insight, Gabe. We'll get you on the next hour, or we'll get your picks for the semifinal games. Well, I'm fired up. Uh, let, let's bang the book. Let's do what you're saying. He's banging the book on Penn State. He, he, you and
2: Gabe are against me, and I feel even better now. He feels There's, stronger than I do. I, I, I think this is a toss-up game. Do you? But, uh, yeah, but looking at the conference trends, it is hard to bet against the Big Ten. The, yeah, uh, I, I, I go better head coach Chris Peterson in the spot over James
1: Franklin. Now, I love James Franklin and the crew, but yeah, we'll see which team could score first in that ball game. When we come back, we'll be talking about the rest of the slate. Joe Lisi and Rich Sarmanello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34.
3: Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app.
1: We talked about the Liberty Bowl between Memphis and Iowa State with Gabe. Gabe is all over Riley Ferguson and the crew. But this is an Iowa State team, Rich, that is only giving up 21 points per game in the Big 12. They dominated Oklahoma from a defensive perspective played very well against Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas Tech. They're used to playing five wide, and when you look at the defensive weaknesses of Memphis in this ball game, they're allowing 196 rushing yards to opposing offenses. I look at the blue-collar offensive line of the Cyclones, David Montgomery. I think he has a big day today, and that's why I like the upset here
2: with uh, uh, Iowa State. Even in a road game, even in Memphis at the Liberty Bowl, I agree with you. I, I Listen, I don't think you're going to Stop Memphis, but you bring up an excellent point, Joe. Which is, Memphis is essentially a Big 12 football team, right? I mean, the five way, wide Miller, right. yeah, the way they run the offense, the way Mike Norvell, Riley Ferguson, Anthony Miller, who is spectacular at uh, wide receiver, Daryl Henderson has had a great year out of the backfield. That is a Big 12 offense, and Iowa State has seen Big 12 offenses, and they have largely contained or, or at least held below season averages. Two Big 12 offenses. The problem for Memphis is they don't play any defense. Lots of takeaways, which is good. So Kyle uh, uh, Kemp, Cody Kemp is going to have to, uh, is it Kyle Kemp? Or Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Kemp. Uh, I think Cody Kemp was a tight end somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Kemp is going to have to watch his throws, not turn the ball over. Memphis, though, Joe, 116th nationally in third down stop. So I, I think Kemp, David Montgomery, Alan Lazard on the outside, I think they could play keep away from the Memphis offense, I think they could score points. I think this is like a 38-34 Iowa State victory. I think they win this game in Memphis.
1: Yeah, and you brought up Kyle Kempf as well. I mean, he was injured at the end of the year, gave way to freshman quarterback Zeb Nolan that played very well. He completed right around 62% of his passes, only two touchdowns, one interception for the most part. But Kyle Kempf will benefit from the extra weeks of preparation now. He does have uh, 13 touchdowns, three interceptions. Defensively as well, this is an Iowa State team, plus 11 in turnover margin, only giving up around 124 rushing yards per game. They can make Riley Ferguson in that offense one dimensional, and they forced other Big 12 opponents to work down the field if they can do that. Look at what they did against West Virginia. Second half adjustments against Will Greer in that offense. They didn't win that ballgame, but they lost a close ball game. They 20 were 20 to 19, I 20 think. 20 to was 16, the, yeah. but they were down 20 to 3 at the half. So Matt Campbell's a big game head coach, makes halftime adjustments. And I give him the edge in this ballgame as well. And when you look at the offensive line play for Iowa State, only allowing 16 total sacks, and Memphis does not have a front seven that creates a lot of quarterback pressures, if Kemp and that offense get going early,
2: could be a long day for Memphis. Yeah, Jannard Avery is the one player you, you worry about on Memphis, but not a lot of defensive playmakers. So I, I think this kind of a game plan that Iowa State will utilize will be ball control, Kempt possibly on play action has some very good wide receivers. Alan Lazard is the leader, but not the only playmaker on the outside for Iowa State. And, you know, that defense led by the linebackers, Joel Lanning, Marcel Spears, Willie Harvey, they have been active all season long, and they've seen these types of offenses. Again, the concern that I have is... You know, at some point, you have to make stops. You have to be able to make plays. I think the reason why fans will like this game, Joe, the Liberty Bowl, I think, will be entertaining, not because it's close and possibly high-scoring, but also these are two teams that really care about being in this game. You know, Iowa State doesn't play in bowl games every year, had a solid season at 7-5. and five. Memphis playing at home. I think this will be a spirited Entertaining, high scoring game.
1: Yeah, look for Iowa State to travel very well in this ballgame. Last ball game, I think, was five years ago. So, I mean, it, it will be a home game for Memphis for the most part, but look for Iowa State to grab a lot of tickets and be in this ballgame yeah. from start to finish. Also, keep your eye out for Montgomery in the short to intermediate passing game. That's how he beat Oklahoma. He did have seven receptions in that matchup. When we come back, we'll be talking about the other games on the slate. Joe Lisi and Richardson Manila alive in the fantasy Sp- Sports Radio Network, Studio 34.